Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is episode 40, uh, and of course your host here, Adam Sims from the Back Patio Network, and my good pal, Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. It's going to be a good episode, man. We uh, we got like into the new season, it feels like, you know? Yeah, there's definitely, this is a, these two episodes feel very transitional. Um, I had to look up how to pronounce the word denouement earlier because I'm pretty sure I was just anglicizing the heck out of that french word um but that's what this feels like but i mean 78 is definitely that 79 um feels like things begin to pick back up some or no it's right at the beginning of 78 where they start um kind of introducing what's going to come next uh or you know giving us a peek at what might be coming down the pipe anyway yeah it was definitely a uh kind of an interesting way to start this episode off let's go ahead and just dive into it man uh we pick up right where we left off with 77 with Shigaraki and he's standing over overhaul and they like take his arms again. I mean, it's a brutal scene. This is one of those scenes that like you kind of want to see again, but at the same time it's rough. Yeah. I was happy to rewatch this. Um, just like I think in our last episode, I said that I was happy to rewatch, you know, Midoriya's final assault on Chisaki. Like it's just very, it's very well directed, animated, and so I, I, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm for this. I, in fact, my notes say I get to rewatch Villainous Shigaraki because this, of all the things Shigaraki has done, this scene makes him feel to me the most villainous. Like it was very like Heath Ledger, Joker kind of just you, you get the creeps from him in a very, very acute way from this scene. Um, so I was, I was more than pleased to have to watch it again. Yeah, there's a really cool scene where they're like walking away from the crime scene and like everything's on fire in the background and it's uh, it Shigaraki in the middle and then I think it's Overhaul or not Overhaul, sorry, it's uh, Mr. Oh, Compress, Mr. Compress and Dobby, yeah, uh, off to his sides and they're just walking away from this massive explosion. It was it was pretty cool, super cool. Uh, and then we transition into some new credit scenes, some new opening credits, which I'll be honest, I didn't plan to watch them and then like when i skipped forward i saw the end of it where it was like jiro playing some funky bass and i was like all right we gotta back up and see what's going on here uh, it was neat did you watch the whole thing well yeah i did i did the same thing i'm actually shocked that you skipped over it because you're always the one of the two of us that's like oh did you watch the new credits and i'm like no i don't bother with that well, stuff i only skipped because i didn't know there were new credits and then when i saw that i was like oh okay we got something new happening you know we gotta we gotta figure out what's going on because i always like to see it just to see if you've watched it yeah i um i you know, was skipping over it and then saw a lot more Jiro than I had anticipated. Like if every character was getting equal play, I was like, it's something's not right. Cause you're seeing Jiro all the time. Uh, so I went back because you know, Jiro's my girl played by Zendaya. Um, and, right, right. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I watched it. I wasn't like in love with any part of it, but I, you know, I always appreciate getting to watch uh, a little bit more Jiro cause she's my favorite. She's my favorite student. I mean, Aizawa sure. clearly, come on. I mean, if you listen, right. you know, but student wise there's just something about like there's just something about a really good opening for me that really does it when it comes to anime like if it's got a really killer opening i'm just hooked immediately and there are very few that have done that you know what i mean this one definitely like compared especially to the one that it replaced felt less like an opening credit to a superhero uh anime like the other one was very like it just had that hero vibe and this didn't but i didn't dislike it Sure, sure. Well, regardless, uh, we end up with a brand new set of characters that we haven't seen. Well, I say brand new set. We're really just revisiting some old folks that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, it's Gran Torino and Sukoichi. They're like hanging out in almost a limousine looking like car. 
uh, out in the middle of the country. And it sounds like they're going to track down Kuro Giri, who has been hiding out in the mountains. I'm not really sure what he's doing there. Like, do we know why he was there and not with the League of Villains? I mean, we didn't know going into this, um, but, you know, Gran Torino was kind of, he was suspicious uh, about Kurogiri's placement, or or maybe less his placement and more his visibility. Like, he says something like, you know, his quirk is designed for secrecy, but then all of a sudden he gets spotted four times out in the middle of nowhere. Like, what? Yeah. What's, what's he doing? Well, and to me, it felt like a big distraction. Like, I was totally expecting him to go out in the woods, find Kurogiri, like, pounce on top of him, and it melt away, and it turned out to be one of uh, Twice's doubles. And the fact that it didn't, I was really surprised. Like, the, it seems like this is the real Kurogiri. And whenever he's finally captured by Gran Torino, he makes mention of the fact that he's like, you know, have you heard or seen uh, any of these rumors of this wild man in the area? Because I'm out here looking for him. And then all of a sudden the ground starts tremoring and there's this like massive, I mean, it looks like a rock giant that apparently is going to attack these guys. And then we get a quick introduction where it says Gigantomachia. Mm-hmm. And I guess this guy is one of uh, All for One's students or pupils, it seemed like. I mean, Kirigiri makes the mention of like, you know, there's more than just Shigaraki out there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he's, he's already, he's pretty big. He's kind of got a jaw that looks like... Um What's that? What's that pro hero's name that uh, that Kira is it the forearms or something like that? What's that guy's name? Oh yeah, I think it was. Four is it arms. forearms? Is his name? I feel like it is. It had something to do with his arms, and he's got like that metal jaw. Yeah, yeah, just a very chiseled looking jaw. Except this guy's is definitely rock instead of um, instead of metal. Uh, he also had like a radio. Hanging yeah, from his neck. that's what I. That's the detail I was trying to get to uh, before I got it's sidetracked weird. by that guy's name. But yeah, he's just got. You know how like most people when they're trying to, it's fourth kind, not forearms. Fourth we were, kind. Yeah, <laughs> we were okay. way off. Samsonite. Fourth. We were way off. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's got. Most people, you know, when you're carrying around a boombox to look cool, you got it like slung over your shoulder, and it's you know half as long as you are tall. But this thing is just. He's just wearing it like uh, like Flavor Flav wears one of his giant clocks. It's just hanging from his neck, <laughs> and it's playing like the Weather Channel or something. I think when is that when he what comes it was? On. I couldn't, I couldn't catch it. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, playing some sort of like weather forecast um, over I, the radio. For some reason, I just assumed that this was like a mind control device. Like not necessarily that that device itself was, but that someone somewhere with a quirk is like transmitting to it to keep this thing calm. You know, hmm. that's an interesting idea. I, I didn't, I didn't get that. I just thought that you know, apparently he's a wild man that lives out here by himself. And maybe this is one way that he minimizes that, that sense of complete isolation by just having some connection to, you know, human humanity through a voice on a radio or something. But we're probably way overthinking this. Um, Probably. But I I really hope that we get like a quirk introduction and his quirk is Paul Bunyan related. I I just think he's going to be a real big, strong man. Um, I know. I don't. I feel like I'm investing way too much in this character. Yeah. that showed up for two seconds. But I also <laughs> think he's going to be like we've we've seen real big strong man. I mean, one of the bullets was you know that was basically his quirk was real big strong guy. Um, but uh, there's got to be something more to him because the way that they set him up, I don't think that he's just. I don't feel like he's going to be a, just like a side character for for the League of Villains. Um, I don't know. I get the feeling he's going to be the predominant antagonist for this season. Yeah, yeah. He's or at least this. At least this arc. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to be a, a, a major player because, I mean, uh, Kuro Giri's out here because All for One had basically said, listen, if you ever, you know, grow weary of trying to, you know, keep after uh, Shigaraki on your own, then go and get this guy. 
And uh, so um, I'd be curious to hear like what, what that conversation would have been like or what it will be like, how is Shigaraki going to explain to Gigantomaki why he's needed? Like what's his reason for being out there or was he sent there by Shigaraki? I didn't get that sense. No, I don't think so either. I feel like Kurogiri's abandoned Shigaraki, maybe. Or he's definitely out here doing this on his own. That's the vibe that I got. So yeah, I'd be no, for sure. I'd be curious to hear him explain to Shigaraki or to Gigantomaki, listen, I came out here to get you because blank. Um, right. <laughs> and, and see where that goes. Well, we transition over to Midoriya, who is at the hospital still, uh, and he is kind of going over the events of the highway chase via this news channel. Like he's walked into what appears to be like a waiting room or something. And it's basically a news channel running in the background and Aizawa and him are watching it. And they're just talking about how Shigaraki has taken overhaul and, you know, messed up his life forever, taking his hands uh, and how they got away. And I guess they killed off the one guy. So Midoriya is clearly feeling kind of bad about this. I, I guess you immediately get that sense that it, he thinks it's his fault. And Aizawa immediately, just like a teacher, steps in and is like, hey, it's not your fault. Like this kind of stuff happens. You know, you can't you can't touch this one. League of Villains are involved. I don't want you near it. Yeah, so he's he's concerned. He he wants to see Airy, but Aizawa says, you know, your presence here isn't going to make a difference in her condition. Aizawa, we learn a little bit later, is kind of stuck at the hospital for a while because of the, I guess, the the potential need for him to have to use his quirk on Airy. Um, yeah, but I was surprised to hear that because he also makes mention that there's nothing they can do and he's going to leave Airy for the doctors. So I guess what he really means is like, oh, I'm going to leave her for the doctors and I'm going to stay here. I think he's he's like a uh, an emergency measure, you know. Okay. With when okay. when he's the only guy around that like if she wakes up and starts using her quirk, if he's the only guy that they're or the only way that they're aware of of shutting her back down, like you would want to keep that pretty close, I would think. Yeah, that's true. That's um true. we also learned that recovery girl has to stay behind to heal a few more patients, which we we've talked about this before, like how many people in the world would have a quirk like hers and how valuable that quirk would be. It seems like at least in the area, she seems to be the only one because otherwise there would be multiple people with her quirk possibly hanging out at this hospital, but she made it sound like she was it. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing, which it makes me wonder, you know, she seems to be one of the older characters. I wonder if she derived her quirk from parents that had some sort of like medical related quirk as well. You know, it's certainly possible just given the way that they've, you know, explained how quirks work with the only exception that we've really seen to that has been, well, two of them, presumably one of them, the presumably one being Midoriya, because you, I think you still suspect that he has a, a latent quirk of some kind. Um, and then the other, I'm not convinced that he doesn't. Okay. And then the, the other one being Aerie, who is uh, the first mutation that we've been made aware of anyway. Sure. Sure. It makes me think that like, you know how, uh, there are, I guess kind of the, uh, I'm trying to think of what you would call it, like the family business. Like people will have like a pizza shop for, you know, over a century running the family and then like the, the son or the daughter picks up after the parents. Yeah. That's what these quirks kind of feel like to me. It, it really could get a family kind of stuck into a position like Recovery Girl, where I would imagine if she has kids, they're probably doing similar things, you know? Well, that's part of Ida's background. Right, right. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely like a, a, a legacy or a heritage element. Like family tradition kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, Midoriya wants to check in on Mirio too, and I guess he doesn't really hear Aizawa telling him, like, no, because um, he just goes and does it anyway, because Aizawa's <laughs> like, well, he's doing, I think he just, like, is trying to explain something, but Midoriya just, like, cuts him off and walks in on Mirio, who's doing these, like, weird vertical flutter kick things. 
Yeah, uh, they're like abups or something. Yeah, and he, but he's just like running with his feet stuck up in the air. Um, yeah. And they have a pretty interesting series of, uh, well, I guess it's one continuous conversation, but uh, they, they have an interesting conversation, something definitely worth investing some time here um, uh, on with the AMP. So uh, Mirio is, he's, you know, he's all pe- peppy like we know him to be, but we're also juxtaposing that with the fact that, you know, uh, Night Eye just died. And he vocalizes this himself. You know, he's like, you know, I, I know I shouldn't be smiling because I, I lost my quirk and my master just died. So I shouldn't be in this laughing state of mind. But he, you know, weighs that against Night Eye's last words to him or, or the last series of words, one of which was, you know, to keep on smiling for the sake of society, um, it, to paraphrase it some. And also the encouragement that he'll be a fine hero. And so Mirio is kind of holding uh, tightly to that um, and trying to live into that, which is his way of honoring uh night eye which i think is is nice tough yeah I thought, and he admits I, that it's hard but i thought it was a really nice kind of uh tail end of that i mean it you can tell that he's respecting his master's last wishes and and trying to be the best he can and there's also some to some extent i think he feels guaranteed that he will have a bright future i mean the guy that can see the future told him hey you're gonna be fine so he knows he's gonna be fine so he has that reassurance and, and i mean he fully believed in night eye up until this point so why stop now you know yeah i was trying to think of like and i'm way overthinking this like would night eye have had a justifiable reason to lie to mirio in this moment or in that moment like to look into his eyes see a bleak future that is just gonna straight bum him out um and and choose to say ah you'll be a fine hero just to see if that would create changes in his life or did he tell him the truth and we know he's going to be a fine hero and then the other wrinkle in that conversation that I'm to- I'm still toying around with was what if uh so because we're about to get where Midoriya's like what if I told you I could give you my quirk and Mirio mm-hmm. Mirio turns it down but I'm like but what if that's the future that night I saw. Um, if yeah. that Midoriya does end up transferring some or all, or, you know, you know, of, of the, uh, the one for all over to Mirio and that's how he becomes this fine hero. Um, but it's possible, know. but I, I don't know. I had the same thought. I was like, I wonder if not, I lied, but at the same time, he doesn't strike me as the kind of character that would do that. Like, I just don't think it's, if it's his motif, you know? Right. I, I don't think that either, but I was trying to, you know, look at it from a couple of different angles and, and sure. see, you know, what it is that he might've seen. And if he had told the truth in light of what he saw, because I mean, how, I mean, literarily speaking from, from Night Eye's perspective, it would be beautiful for the last thing that he sees with his quirk is his dream come true with, you know, uh, Mirio ending up with the one for all. Um, right. Like that would be cool, but it would also literarily suck for Deku. <laughs> so the other thing, though, is that we have consistently been told by a future Midoriya that he's become the best hero of them all, or right. the number one hero. Right. So I don't know, but I guess it. <laughs> I've always thrown around that, like, what if he's the number one hero because he passed on his quirk, you know? Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot about, like, self-sacrifice being an essential element of the definition, the working definition of hero, especially from Midoriya's perspective. But at the same time, it wasn't just that we've heard voiceovers of Midoriya saying he's going to be the greatest. We've seen glimpses of this future where he's crackling with the, you know, the one-for-all energy. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I... I don't think I was just 
was just exploring, you know. Um, yeah, no, hey, listen, I think that everyone is related whenever they have yeah. similar quirks or even look the same. That's so, true. you know, explore you want. These are the kind of conversations I love. Yeah. <laughs> so Mirio shuts him down, uh, you know, d- declines even, you know, the, receiving the one from all, uh, one or all from Adoria. And he kind of vocalizes, you know, I'll do my best uh, as a normie or a muggle. Um, but then, you know, maybe once Aerie learns to control her quirk that she might be able to ro- rewind me back to when I had mine. But it, even if that doesn't work, I'm going to do my best to try to get things back to normal. Um, yeah, and, I was bummed to see he was going to drop out of UA. Yeah, I mean, for a time, I mean, um, I, I guess that makes some sense. I, I mean, he would be a severely disadvantaged. And, uh, yeah. you know, plus his, his internship is kind of dissolved. Uh, or or at least we'll go on some grand restructuring uh, now that Night Eye is out because it was Night Eye Agency. So, sure, yeah, or maybe Older that's what he's taking that and, time uh, away to do is to help with that. I mean, yeah. that would be I could I could see that working. That would be kind of neat if that was his. Uh, maybe that's how he becomes the fine hero. You know, he is one of those like logistics guys. He runs the company and gets people where they need to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of possibility with that. It was kind of a vague future, so. I hope we see more of him. Uh, he's been a fun character. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere for too long. Again, I, I, he feels very mascotty, like especially yeah. in the My Hero community, people stinking love Mirio, um, and there are people who continue to love him who are well beyond where we are um, as far as the anime release is concerned because they've read you know ahead in the in the manga, um, and it, I'm I do really you know try really hard to avoid any spoilers for stuff that I, we're not at so you know i haven't i can't say that i haven't seen anybody talking about you know that about him just being gone it doesn't feel like that's right. a thing that's that's taken place yeah no i definitely have to agree with you but then they get we we kind of shift out of the hospital room and it said uh somebody walks in and they're like well we need you to come down to the station to answer some questions about the shia hisaikai incident and midoriya's voiceover is like it looked like it would be a bit longer before we returned to school and i just wrote in all caps in my notes curses and then it transitioned to the dormitory where it says for those others in class 1a and i was like rejoicing because i was like i want to get back to those kids i miss a lot of those students man it's been so long since we've seen all of 1a together and technically I don't think we see all of 1A together in either of these episodes. Um, and no, I'll, I, don't, I don't think we do. I mean, we get, we get a sizable chunk of them, um, but there know, are that, some faces that are missing. That whole scene to me just seemed so, like, so much of a waste of time. Like, it was just a weird transition scene, because it was all of two seconds. They made it sound like the rest of the episode, you're going to spend time at this police quarters, but police show up, ask them to go downtown, and then like, the next scene is a couple of the folks at Class 1A and then it transitions right back to Midoriya and uh, Kirishima walking up to the school. Like, no police interaction at all. It was just like a MacGuffin to get them there, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it felt like, you know, an essential element, like a realistic element to the world. Like, yeah, we get, you know, there's red tape because police were involved or, you know, yeah. heroes were involved. I get that. Um, so, you know, as far as like having that realistic bureaucratic element to it is fine or investigative element to it is fine. But yeah, they, they, we don't spend any time at the precinct. We go straight back to the dorms. Um, And I had a couple of like strange character notes here. So, so one, not everybody greets 
the the four students that were involved in the assault on the Shia Saikai camp, uh, compound when they get there. Bakugo is he's in a room close. Like I think he doesn't get up from the couch when they walk in. But yeah. Tokoyami is nowhere. I had you don't no, see, him see him at him all. Either. No, no. Kaminari is talking to them, and he's like, "You you guys are always getting caught up in serious stuff." And then. I remembered what that term was that I couldn't remember last week when we were talking about the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. It's Taviren, uh, and it's, this, it's the term for people around whom in that fantasy setting of Robert Jordan's and Brandon Sanderson's, like it's, it's the people around whom history and fates bend and, and sometimes even break. They're like, they're like magnets for, uh, not revolution, but but change or significance and like uh, historical events. Yeah, and that's that's the term I couldn't remember last week that I was trying to apply to to specifically. I, would, I think to Midoriya. Yeah, it's really more Midoriya than anybody because he's always the centerpiece or like the linchpin in all of these ridiculous plans that the students have. Yeah. So and Momo's got a new look, and I can't say that I like it. I like it took me a second to place her because yeah, her, I was like, who is that? Yeah. And then I realized it was Momo and I'm like, oh, okay. It's, it's her, her hair is down, which I think is the only change, but it totally changes her look because we're it so does. accustomed to looking at her, looking for her with the ponytail. Yeah, no, totally. I agree with that. And then the other thing that I took a note on was, and this is something that I'm sure I've seen a hundred times, but hadn't really paid much attention to. But Sue's hair, do you realize how long it has to be to be tied in that giant bow that she usually has it tied up in? Oh, yeah. She's got to have like 20 foot long hair or something. Yeah. I, I wrote that she's got Crystal Gale hair. Do you remember Crystal Gale? <laughs> I do remember Crystal Gale. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how long Sue's hair has to be in order for it to be tied up like that. And no, you're not wrong. Because I was funny. looking at it, I was like, that is a lot of hair. Uh, and I, I wonder if those are like implants or something. <laughs> like she's got you know a weave. I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Like, I could see that just being like an addition to not her real hair. Hmm. Well, we've never or maybe seen it's it. Like uh, Mirio, like she grew that out, she cut it off, she tied a bow, and she just held on to it. <laughs> matches it with like a clip or something. That would be super gross. I don't like it. <laughs> um, maybe it's one of her frog superpowers, and we don't know it. Frogs? Well, I'm, I was going to say no frogs have hair, but I don't think that's 100% true. I'm sure maybe some frog somewhere has some, some cilia like hair on something. Who knows? Uh, in the middle of this, Todoroki gets a phone call and is like, all right, I had to go answer the phone. I thought that was, I, I made a note of that. I'm like, that seems weird. Yeah, I thought he was just getting text messages, but there, uh, it, it is a phone call at some point at least. Um, and we, we've learned later that it's Endeavor. I assume it's an Endeavor calling to basically tell him that he's going to be, Endeavor is going to be at the, um, the second test for the, um, uh, not preliminary license the, or probation. Provisional exam. Provisional, that's it. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Because that makes sense of a line where, like, later on um, in the, at the end of this episode, I think, he realizes All Might is coming with them to the same exam, and he says something like, things might get annoying. And the yeah. only reason that that line would make any sense to me is if he knew that his dad is going to be there, too, and he understands that they're, they're like oil and water a bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, whenever the students first show up, everybody's, like, hounding on them, and Ida comes out of nowhere and is like, hey, guys, make sure that you leave them alone. Like, they got to be, you know, mental health and everything. Got to make sure they're okay. And he's having flashbacks of Midoriya, like, having that breakdown at lunch from a couple... I mean, this has been, like, what, 20 episodes ago or something? It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, so he's trying to make sure that they're okay, and, and Midoriya's like, hey, man, we're good. We're fine. Like, we're pro heroes. We're taking this easy. And, and Ida's like, oh, okay, well, in that case, and he, like, rushes them and starts shaking everybody. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. <laughs> like, There's oh, some really good interactions here that I super liked. So, like, one yeah. of them is uh, Ochako is kind of 
thinking to herself or, or reflecting back on an earlier conversation with Aizawa, I think, and she's wishing that there was more that she could do mm-hmm. because she's talking about, you know, I had Night Eye in my arms and there, I wish there was more I could do. And it made me think of uh, Sakura from Naruto who yeah, for sure. felt like the exact same way. And I wonder, I was like, is, is uh, Ochako about to learn some medical ninjutsu? Because that would be super cool. Um, but I don't think that that's how this world works. Um, but it kind of, the way that she was talking about wishing she could do more made me think she wishes that she knew more about like first aid or something. Um, or she just well, felt powerless because she couldn't do anything, even though she wished that she could. We've all been there too. Yeah. I think that was more that, at least that's the way that I got it was, Hey, I really wish I could have been more helpful. I did the best I could, but in that such kind of a situation, there was only much there was only so much she could have done anyways. Yeah. I liked too. There's a, there's a cool visual gag where Saro is hugging Kirishima and Kirishima's hair like pokes Saro in his eye. So his hair is super rigid all the time. Apparently I didn't think I realized that. I didn't um, realize that either. They don't make a big deal out of it, but it is like, like this really minor gag. Like Saro doesn't like jerk backwards and clutch at his eye, but both in the manga and in the anime, there's like a weird, like almost an asterisk over his eye. And it looks like one of Kirishima's hair Crags is sticking him in his eye. Um, but my favorite interaction really is there's this moment where Mina looks at Kirishima and he's and she's like, Are you okay? And in the anime he says, I'm not there yet. And I loved just those two lines were so stinking good because it's yeah. Kirishima admitting like physically I'm recovered, but there's still some stuff that that I need to sort through and overcome maybe mentally or emotionally and that vulnerability and honesty there is such a small blip on the radar that is this episode but I super appreciated that being in there. I thought that that was a really cool touch. It's in the manga as well. That is a nice touch. It's one of the notes that I had in this uh, episode was that they do a really good job of expressing the the I guess kind of kids care for each other about mental health like it's a big deal they know that being out in the field is something that can just absolutely wreck your brain and keep you up all night long i mean we see moments here in a bit of midoriya trying to go to sleep and he just can't because he's thinking about everything that happened and i, I appreciate that i think it's good i mean there were several of the students that were questioning that i think even jiro was like hey surely they're okay right like do you think yeah. they're okay multiple times i mean it's just good to see that you know that's kind of a that's a big issue in today's world yeah, the four that were a part of that assault are shown, like, very intentionally shown being restless and fidgety. Like almost anxious. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, that was very well depicted. And, you know, I thought Horikoshi did a good job um, of, of that, of that piece, that it's not just like, we're hitting the reset button and we're back at the dorms. It's, no, there's, there's a lingering effect on what they saw and what they know and... Um, you know, these experiences that they now have. And I, I thought that it was extremely well handled. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do love they, they kind of wrap it up too with Bakugo just being his typical self where he just gets out of the couch and he's like, all right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then Todoroki does the same thing. He's like, yeah, I got to go to bed too. And then it's, you know, kind of announced that they have their provisional training course the next day. Uh, so they get up and they're expecting Aizawa to take them. In fact, they're mentioning that they felt bad that Aizawa had to take them. So I don't know if he had to go away from the hospital and like not deal with Eerie and take these kids there. But instead, they've got All Might and Present Mike, who I love Present Mike. We haven't seen him in a couple of, really a couple episodes. I'm pretty stoked that he's back. Yeah, he's he's been another one uh, that's that's been living off screen for quite some time. And he's 
he's there, I guess, to be an, an actually powered escort because they make it yeah. sound like they're there to like escort or supervise, uh, you know, in route to this to this test. Uh, and then this is this is where Todoroki starts putting two and two together, and he's like, "Oh man, things might get annoying." And like, no sooner are they at the stadium than All Might and Endeavor bump into one another, and it's it's awkward. And uh, present Mike just nopes out of there. He's like, "I'm gonna go oh, get yeah. some coffee." It's just what I like, love Peace. about it too. Endeavor doesn't even recognize present Mike. Like, doesn't look at him. Doesn't say anything about him. He just starts immediately talking to the number one hero. Yeah, yeah. And, and he so talks. President Mike, even you're right. President Mike is like, all right, well, um, I guess I'll go buy some coffee, guys. <laughs> even the way that this is framed with Endeavor at the top of the stairs, I think I meant to look this up, but I think at the um, the games, you know, the little Olympic school game things that they did yeah. really early on. I think that there was a similar scene back when All Might still had all of his power. But their positioning on the stairs was the opposite, where Endeavor was ascending the stairs and All Might was coming down. I think you're right, yeah. And now the roles have been reversed. And yep. if that's true, it's a very cool visual um, visual kind of representation of how things are changed and how things are now um, that I thought. I made a note. I was like, I really need to look this up just to, be, just to have confirmation of it, but I forgot. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right about that. There's also a weird scene somewhere in here with All Might remembering a conversation that he has with Gran Torino, and it turns out that the they got Kiragiri from the beginning of the episode, uh, but they had to let the Gigantomachia guy go, so Gigantomachia. Gigantomachia, thank you. Yeah, they had to let him go. Uh so which I don't I don't know like they make it sound like he got away and when they chased him he just disappeared or something. Yeah, but the I guy was, curious was like about that too. he's massive. Tall. Yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he looks like a picture of the mountain and it's like decimated. So I yeah, I don't know. That was kind of weird. Um uh, interested where that goes. Yeah. Um, then they, the, the kind of end of this episode is a little bit of some, uh, reunion work from a couple of the kids that were, that failed their provisional licenses. And then one that wasn't even there for it, but yeah. totally thought that she was. Um, so uh, we, Kami is there, right? Yeah. It's Kami. So Yarashi is back. Kami's with him. We get Shishikura as well, but he's just there to watch. That was the guy that turned people into meatballs. Yeah. I've got him listed in my notes as meatball guy. Yeah. And then, um, Cammy, I, she has a very Valley Girl accent and yeah. and speech mannerism, and I totally wasn't expecting that. Um, but it is heavy in this episode and in the next. So it is, and you know, I was really shocked because when she showed up, she's wearing that weird, like almost like sex store police outfit. Yeah, and for some reason, I just assumed that that was like Toga's doing. I I, I don't know why I thought that, but. After it was revealed that Cammy was Toga, I was like, oh, that can't be her real outfit. Yep. There's just, there's no way. Nope, it um, totally is. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. And we don't know what her quirk is yet either, so I don't really, I don't know why, like, typically the quirks for these costumes mean something. You know, like, Bakugo's got the bomb hands, and I don't know, I just, I can't imagine what her quirk is and wh- how this suit works with it. I thought we maybe had her talking. Well, you know, it would have been Toga talking, but Toga talking some about how Cammy's work or Cammy's quirk m- might work with that weird illusiony stuff. But I don't know yeah. that we have that stuff confirmed one way or the I, other. I don't think that has anything to do with Cammy's quirk. I think that was just Toga being a skilled spy. Gotcha. So well, I don't know, but. Who knows? This episode ends with the revelation that Gang Orca is in charge of things again. So I just have Gang Orca in all caps at the end because yeah. he just gets me amped. I stick and love Gang Orca. And he makes me laugh in this next episode pretty good. 
Yeah, he's funny in this next episode. So this is episode 79, which is called Win Those Kids' Hearts. Um, last episode, I, because I forgot to mention it, was called Smoldering Embers, um, which again is a kind of uh, pointing towards the like resolution, um, you know, where a fire has finally started to put itself out or, or die out on its own, um, even though there's, you know, the threat of another fire over here now with Gigantomachia, but we're we're not there yet. We've we've got small tastes of Gigantomachia and what be uh, what might be coming down the road. But in the meantime, there's kids who need saving. Yeah, and in this episode, we get to see some of these kids, uh, and it's man, what an episode! I don't know how I feel about this one. It was just different. Uh, I mean, we start off with our. We're, I'm going to say really our four or three main heroes. We're really following uh, Inuyasha. Is it? It's not an Inuyasha. It's a uh, Inasa. We're really following Inasa. Bakugo and Todoroki. Kami's there, but she really feels like a side character in this episode. And then there's like a handful of other just random people that we know nothing about. Uh, and and they, it's the sleepy guy again, if I remember correctly. I don't remember his name. Yeah, the the Proctor. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember his name either. But uh, the yeah, they're the the random heroes. A couple of like one dude looks like he's just straight up wearing a Tron suit. Yeah, and then uh, I have another one. I just said this one dude just looks like a Chikorita. Like from the Pokemon, and it might be a. It looks like a lady in the uh, in the manga, but I thought it was a dude um, in the anime. There's also one that kind of looks like uh, the boxer from Street Fighter, with like the straight up and down oh, flat yeah. top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and, and you can really feel that they're like B characters. You know, like just the way that they're drawn, they don't they don't look as sharp as the main characters do. Right. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely just there for. For literal filler, not that this episode is a filler because it is adapted straight from the manga, but that they are there to fill out the scene with other bodies. Um, yeah, because they don't. We don't see them do anything in these episodes. Nothing. They're not even. I don't even think that we get to see the kids pick on these other no-name heroes. They pick on the four that we're focusing on, but that's it. Yeah, and I think they explain that it's a special trial specifically for those four. Uh, but whenever the, we're first being introduced to this kind of group of kids. Uh, for some reason, they make it a point to explain that this time around there's 11 participants, whereas normally they only have 10. I, I feel like they had to have said that for some reason. Whether it's coming up next or not, I don't know. But that felt important to me for some reason. I thought uh, the way I, that they had said it was something like there originally was 10, but then we added in, like there were 10 failures, but they added in Cammy, but she, be, and she was this 11th person because she technically wasn't there to fail it, but they're giving her this, this chance because she had made it to that, whatever that round was, but didn't make it physically there because of Toka. That's, that's how I read that. I guess that, that anyway. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, while this is all going on, Endeavor shows up to watch and he's immediately screaming out Todoroki's name. And I mean, I feel bad for Todoroki cause you got to know, he's just like, oh, come on, dad, shut up. Like, just <laughs> let me, let me do my thing, you know? Uh, and then it's funny because Inasa is standing there and I feel like he's about to blow a gasket because he sees Endeavor up there and he imagines him smacking that like signature board out of his hand and you yep. can tell he's just like boiling up. Yeah, uh, Endeavor made one heck of a first impression on that guy and yeah. he, he hasn't, he doesn't let it get, it, he, Yarashi doesn't let it mess with him too much. I mean, it distracts him for a minute, but he is kind of, mentally making the note that he's not going to be like that. And I think that that's particularly pertinent given the setting that he's in, in the middle of this test where he has the opportunity to do better than Endeavor did towards him as a kid with these kids now that he has the opportunity to impress. Um, yeah. So that was a cool, 
um, you know, a little bit of a layer to, to what they're, what they're doing in the midst of this test. And, um, there's a little bit of talking like in the crowd with, uh, the meatball guy who, uh, Shishikura, who's, you know, he's taking being duped by Toga pretty hard. Like they find out that he, he's like, I th- we think Tammy got targeted just because, or Cammy got targeted just because she's dumb. Um, <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny, but then they also found <laughs> anesthetics in her blood, like she had right. been knocked out um, with with drugs, um, which I thought was an odd note, but it makes some sense. Um, right. I thought it was funny too. Whenever he says something like, "You know, we think she targeted her because she's dumb," and then the he's not a proctor, but I guess he's the Shiketsu High teacher says something along the lines of, "Well, we like to say she's good spirited." Yeah. It's like wow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so then Gang Orca comes out and he just starts berating all of the the provisional licensing failures, oh, so but funny. he he's specifically picking on the 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 big three: Bakugo, Todoroki, and Yarashi. And it's this is what had me laughing as I was watching the anime. It's done well in the manga, but the anime, the way that it's animated, is really funny because he's like he calls them a bunch of goby fish turds. Um, I think in the manga he calls them plankton or something, um, or, or just fish poop. He doesn't get specific with the species of fish, but they're all like, yes, sirring that. You're like, yes, we totally are fish turds. No problem. And then he gets up in the Bakugo's face and he's like, especially you. Do you even want to be a hero? And Bakugo, Bakugo's, of course, because that's what he does. He's like, I'm not a turd. And then Gang Orca just says disciplinary action. And he just flings Bakugo (laughs) off to the side. And he does the same thing to Todoroki and to uh, Yarashi after different interactions. Like, yeah. He walks up to Todoroki and he's like, how can turds even save humans? And uh, Todoroki gets smart and he's like, well, actually, indirectly through fertilization and gang orca is just like disciplinary action and flings him off. Uh, and then he just gets onto Yarashi for he's like, you think you could just be praised for being fast and being able to fly? And, and Yarashi's actually like, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> disciplinary action. He gets flung off to the side. It was, it was a good scene. It was super funny to watch. Yeah, it was. It was really, really funny. He continues to really berate them, too, because he says something along the lines of, like, you know, you guys think you've got a lot, but what you've only got is combat ability, and that's literally it. Yeah, uh, that's all that you guys have, and so we're going to try to instill in you the thing that we think that you don't have, which is heart. And that made me immediately start thinking about Captain Planet, because that's how I was raised. Uh, like Kwame raising his ring up into the air totally, and, and yes. shouting heart. Um, Definitely. Also made this note too. Did you notice it's not it's not like this in the manga, but the when Gang Orca talks in the show, only the like the tip of his beak or nose moves, and not his actual mouth. It's super weird. Like his mouth is just agape with the teeth and the tongue exposed, but just the little nose piece is moving. <laughs> it's like a really weird I animation. Really noticed that. But his no. mouth is like Kermit the Frog, so I imagine that would be really strange to animate. So I think that that's what they had, what what they decided on was just let's just make his nose move. That's but weird. once you see it, you can't unsee it from now on. It's really, it's really <laughs> crazy. Have to go back and watch that because I don't think I've noticed that. Yeah, you so may they have ruined Gang Orca. I know, <laughs> and I, it made me sad to make the because I I couldn't. I was like, he's not moving his mouth. It's just his nose, and it's 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 disconcerting and unsettling. But maybe he's psychic. Because doesn't he have, like, psychic waves or something? I mean, I know they're, like, they're not psychic. They're, uh... Like, sonar. Sonic. Yeah, yeah. But maybe it's, like, sonar. I, I don't know. I'm trying to make, a, make this work, but... Yeah, yeah. maybe. Mm. So they, they, they've determined that this test is just going to be them dealing with kids. 
Uh, and so they release all these little kids and the kids immediately just start running up to the, to the heroes and putting their hands on them and punching them and insulting them. Like they just call Bakugo straight up bomb. They just call them bomb. Yeah. And they keep saying lame bombs are lame. Yeah. (laughs) Bombs are lame. Uh, and which I have in my notes, I said, said no kid ever. Every kid thinks bombs are cool. Right. Um, but they're, they're poking at Todoroki's like medical supplies and they're calling them a wee wee. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know what that is, but they keep talking. They call them five, five wee-wees, I think. Yeah, in the manga, they straight up call them wieners, which is even funnier. They're well, like, so what I, are these? Is that a wiener? Is this your wiener? I couldn't <laughs> figure out if that's funny. what kind of joke they were going for, or oh, yeah. maybe this was like a kid's toy that I didn't know about. So I did the dumb thing, and I googled like Chinese wee-wee, and you'd be surprised that nothing came back. I was pretty shocked by that. I... You must have safe search on because I, must have. <laughs> I mean, I would never search Chinese wee wee. I could tell you that right now. Well, I was trying to figure out. I was like, surely that's not what they're going for. But no, yeah, no, it was. It was definitely some some uh, some penis jokes because yeah. the little <laughs> first aid canisters that Todoroki has hanging from his belt look phallic to these kids, apparently. I guess so. Um, and there and were a bunch of kids just beating up Anasa. They just call him a jerk and beat him up. And he's not even paying attention to him. He's like, yeah. Daydreaming about kicking Endeavor's ass, I guess. Yeah, well, not kicking, just not becoming him. I mean, he's sure, okay, he's he's like, enough. all right, I'm not going to turn into that guy with these kids. Is, As is he's what he's actively ignoring kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. And poor uh, poor Todoroki is trying to explain to the kids that they're not wieners, that they're first aid kits, and the kids aren't having it. They're just like, whatever, Mister Five Wieners, and it's yeah. it's so funny. Like I I got a good laugh out of that scene too. And then there's this little kid who. Is kind of like off to the side. He looks like Louie from, um, you remember that cartoon from the 90s? I think it was called Louie or Life with Louie. No, that doesn't um, sound familiar. He looks like, or maybe like a tiny Monoma. Like he's very strange looking. Um, I thought he kind of looked like uh, Ness's little brother. What is that from uh, Super Smash Brothers? Or I guess it's uh, it's that old RPG that I can't think of right now. Yeah, uh, I think... I think if you Googled life, life with Louie, you would see what, what this character is that I'm, that I'm thinking of. He looks like it. Yeah, it's definitely that. It's life with Louie. That's who this kid looks like. Yeah, he does look like that kid. <clears throat> totally. And he's like <laughs> off just kind of making these sharp snide remarks um, to everybody, basically. I mean, I think he particularly tangos with Bakugo for the most part. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Bakugo kind of tries to single him out as the ringleader of all the kids. He does, uh, I think so too, yeah. Because here in a second, they start getting overwhelmed, and they each in turn, these, these four heroes in turn start trying, to, trying different approaches to, to wrangling these kids up, and uh, it's, it's, it's pretty great. But before we get to that stuff, let's talk about Endeavor and All Might in their brief conversation in the stands. Well, and right before that happens, we, we get this quick scene with Cammy where she's talking to a uh, gang orca and she's like, well, so how am I, you know, why am I being looped in with these guys? And gang orca is just like, well, we didn't see any of your combat skills, so we can't base anything off of that. And honestly, it just seems like you wouldn't be very good at this. And I thought that was <laughs> so funny. Uh, and then, of course, they got to throw in the creep factor and they're just like, oh, well, I love kids. And she grabs some little kid and like shoves in between her cleavage and then i guess this little kid's girlfriend gets pissed off and is like trying to keep her away from this one male kid so i don't know it was a weird scene yeah they they start calling her a floozy yeah uh but i just thought that was so funny like well honestly we kind of thought you wouldn't be very good at this <laughs> cracked me up <laughs> this is also i think too but i think this takes place right before um the the all might and endeavor stuff where yeah it has to because uh, present Mike isn't there for that conversation because he he decides that his his pre- that present Mike has to MC and so he like gets yeah. up 
and he starts uh, commentating on everything. It's really funny. He starts calling them like teen, team Gobi turds and refers to it as the Rugrats versus the hopefuls. Yep. So Doesn't that was a fun addition. Like, uh, my MC meter is going off and I just can't handle it anymore. Yeah, he's really twitchy and he's just like, uh, he's like, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Um, I think it's just the- an excuse. It was totally an excuse to get away from Endeavor and All Might's like awkward aura that's just surrounding them. Yeah, I could I could believe that because both I think um, one of the two of them, All Might, probably is just like it's not going to make a difference. Why would you go out there and do that? And uh, President Mike's like, I'm out and just yeah. pieces out. <laughs> so like he can't go get coffee now. Presumably they already had their coffee, so now he doesn't have that excuse. So he's going to go MC. And I thought it was a, a f- fun addition to the scenes. It anyway, it's a great President Mike moment. He's still one of my favorites. Uh, and then we get this kind of a weird scene with All Might where he's just kind of like, well, I know you wanted to talk, but I don't really know what to say. And Endeavor just immediately goes into this like, hey, did you know that crime percentage is up by like 3% and I'm solving more crimes than ever and it just keeps going up? Like there's nothing I can really do about it. And he makes a mention that he he can hear something out in the wild that is crumbling that All Might had built. You know, and he, he's going on this feel about how he always knew that he wanted to be the number one hero, but didn't think he could make it there. I mean, having to like climb up these, they've got this really good visual of him climbing up this like mountain and he reaches the top and he thinks he's going to be up there next to all might. And then all might's mountain is like, it's 10 times larger, you know? And yeah. so he just, he has this idea that he can never be all might. He can never meet up that symbol of peace. And it doesn't help that whenever they showed up at the beginning of this episode, all the kids were like, Oh, look at that. It's endeavor. And they were like, wait, hold on. That's all might, you know? I mean, even just right now standing next to him, he can't compare. And All Might's trying to explain, like, man, you don't, you don't have to do it my way. Do it your own way. Like, you don't have to replicate exactly what I did. You, you need to be able to be the number one hero in your own way. Make your own legacy. And I think, I think maybe we're going to get some sort of, like, uh, Endeavor redemption arc. I mean, there's certainly a possibility for that. And I, I actually like that Endeavor does say, you know, what does it mean to be the symbol of peace? Like, he's willing to, to hear it straight from All Might, this guy who he's resented and and felt inferior to this whole time and and he's doing it not for the title because he part of that mountain ex- climbing thing was you know I thought that I could get there just by just by strength but there's something else to it because in endeavor's mind he is the strongest and maybe is has been the strongest but this symbol thing is what he feels like he's missing and so he's willing to uh, you know, come to All Might for for some direction, and like you're saying, All Might's just like you. You have to do your own thing. Like you can't can't try to be me or do what I did. There's there's another way. There there are, there are many that are going to compare me to you and you to me, but you and I are different. So don't copy the symbol that I was aiming for. You need to look for the way that suits you, um, and and pursue that. And that could that could go not so great if I'm being honest. Like if Endeavor's just like all right then it's going to be an iron fist, you know, and just goes yeah. super hard on criminals all the time. He's like, well, <laughs> you know? all might said I could, so here yeah, I like, am. <laughs> and there are, there are like comic book series, and you might know better than me, where like that happens with Superman, where Superman just gets super, he's just going to exercise his power to its fullest extent and just squash everything. Um, like Those Red Sun, isn't that comics. part of it or something like that? Well, Red Sun, if I remember correctly, is actually uh, kind of like a what-if series where Superman's pod lands in Russia instead uh, of landing in the U.S. So, I mean, he's just raised fundamentally different. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, that is a that is definitely a concept that's come up in comic books a handful of times. I mean, there's I want to say there's several times where a Batman is just like, you know what, I'm done with this. And they're normally like what if scenarios or they're they're small books that aren't canon, but they're always a lot of fun. Yeah. So there's there's that chance that he could go a little he could swing a little too far, but um, we'll but we'll see. He's he's not it. operating in a vacuum at least. Yeah, definitely. But and this may also open those doors into him finding his own symbol. I mean, maybe it's the symbol of peace, but through anger or something, you know, like, I mean, he could find a different way to do it than All Might. Right. So this is when we, we kind of shift back down to the four heroes, the four main heroes trying to figure out how to deal with these kids the best. Bakugo is just like, we need to find, he, he, he takes the prison mentality, right? You go up yeah. to the biggest guy and you punch him in his mouth. So he's like, which one of you is strongest? Come and fight me. And then we'll hang you up and let everybody else stone you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, good Lord. That was ridiculous. Um, he's like, they draw up like a pictograph of this little kid yeah. like hanging and all of the other kids throwing rocks at him. Yeah, Rashi goes to the other extreme and he's like, no, we just need to be their friends. And he's like, you guys can't be troublemakers and also be heroes at the same time. And then he totally gets lawyered uh, by one of the kids who are like, but didn't you create trouble by uh, making the teachers do all this extra work? So doesn't that mean that you can't be a hero? And then he just blasts <laughs> off and does yeah, his little good. super deep bow with his forehead slamming on the ground, like trying to apologize. Uh, for being a hypocrite. Uh, and then you have uh, Todoroki, who <laughs> gets accused of just going into a character bio by the kids. Because he's like, my name is, is Shoto, and my dad is Endeavor, and all this stuff. And then the kids are just like, he's, he's like giving us his bio like from, a, from his playing card or his character profile. <laughs> yeah, I think they all just say, boring. <laughs> yeah. So he gets shut down. And I, I, I really wish that somebody else had called him five wieners in that scene. That would have made it perfect. Um, that was the <laughs> chance to bring that back, but they, they didn't. And then Cammie, um, what, what, did, what, is, what was it that she does? Um, I don't remember. even really think that she maybe does she, anything. Yeah, maybe she doesn't get around to doing anything. <laughs> I don't think she does, no, because after Todoroki does all of that, and he, he's like basically just trying to talk to them like adults, uh, they all start to find him boring. And then this one kid in the back starts mouthing off. And that's when he, you know, it's the kid that you said looks like little Louie. There's no way that anything they do is going to work on them because in his mind, he knows that their mommies and daddies are all worried that one day the heroes are going to fail and it, whether or not the heroes are going to be okay. So these kids are kind of affected by the idea that like at home, I guess their parents are questioning the heroes. I mean, this is what all for one wanted that he wanted to sow discourse. And so this triggers him to kind of start summoning his quirk, I guess, which kind of looks like dark shadow, like a whole bunch of little dark shadows. I thought that I have it that the one dude's quirk is apparently to manifest chain chomps. That's what they look oh, like. Yeah, they did kind of look like that at the end. At first, though, they looked like little humans, like like little, uh, almost like the ghosts that Gotenks uses, and then Boo later. Yeah, uh, or they look the like the Langoliers. I think the... Oh, yeah, they do. And now I'm looking at the manga. I thought that that scene was just a creepy shadow version of the kids themselves, like a, an exaggerated visual that oh, you're maybe, talking about. Maybe it is. Maybe it is just an exaggerated visual. Because at the you, end, they do, see, they do seem kind of like the chomps that you're talking about. From Mario, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're like, they like. they're like on fire and like purple. Yeah. So, and then one guy just manifests a giant like cannon from his throat, and who knows yeah. what else. One of them looks like he just has giant... like weird crab legs sticking out of his head it's super weird yeah maybe he's related to a sun eater yeah maybe but the, uh, the funny part though is that the whole episode the teacher has been having this like mental breakdown on the sidelines i mean and, can you blame and, her no not at all uh and she makes mention that she specializes i guess with kids that uh, are developing their quirks and they need counseling to help develop those quirks and these are the kids whose hearts have been shut off so she's hoping that 
they'll be able to maybe open them back up and get to these kids through the heroes. And whenever these kids start to rebel and go after the heroes, she just goes, oh no, this is like really dangerous, really, really bad. These kids think they're better than the heroes. And so it looks like we're about to see an all like just all out fight between the, like a bunch of kids and the, the soon to be heroes, you know? Yeah. And the teacher says if they whoop all the students, butts, then the students will only be left ashamed and possibly also the heroes because it's just grown adults beating up on little kids. I mean, not grown adults, but you know, teenagers beating up on like four right. or five year olds. I mean, it's like 17 year olds just kicking the crap out of a bunch of four or five year olds. Yeah. yeah. Which sounds like fun, but probably isn't the best thing in the world to do. <laughs> um, but then the other, the, the, she's like, so either that happens, or if they let the children, you know, beat them up for whatever reason, then those kids are only going to grow more impudent, I think is the word that she uses. They're, they're just going to get more unruly and more cocky um, and out of control. So she's like, I, she doesn't see a win to this scenario. I'm curious to how it will resolve, too, because I don't have any clue how that's going to go down. Yeah, I'm interested too because uh, I feel like it would be real easy for Todoroki to just ice everybody. Yeah, just I mean, put, this, him, this is put a him simple, on ice like, for a minute. Yeah, AOE attack, boom, done. Everyone's diffused, you know. I don't know. There, there could be a lot of ways this goes down. I would think it would be funny if Bakugo just ended up like absolutely wrecking a whole bunch of kids and they ended up all turning against him along with the heroes. So they're all just beating up on Bakugo. I mean, Bakugo is definitely going to have to show an incredible amount of restraint yeah. in what is to come. And that would be... Um, this he's is the, the only wild like, card in all this. Yeah, I was going to say, this is where the series turns dark and he accidentally like murders one of the child or one of the children. <laughs> and like the whole show just takes a total left wing and it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Nobody saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that concludes the 78 and 79. I thought pretty decent episodes. Nothing too crazy happening. Uh, a lot of story build up. I think we're going to have some exciting things coming soon. Yeah, they were nice and chill. It was a good change of pace. I mean, we, we like the high octane stuff, but it's nice to, you know, kind of catch your breath and check in on folks. And, you know, it's like rests in d and I've got a post at Nerds on Earth about, you know, leveraging your rests um, in your tabletop games, not just for mechanical resets of your characters like HP and spell slots, but like letting your characters sit and unpack and you know, relate to one another. And that's what this feels like. It is like a rest for all these students after what really was, you know, a pretty intense day. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, it's nice for them to kind of return to some normalcy and, and have time to struggle with what they experienced, which is what we got to see in the last episode. Well, I mean, if you think about where these kids have come from, I mean, the, whenever we first started following them, there's no way they could have gone on a mission like this. And then come out of it the same day and been as okay as they have been. And, and at least what we've seen. Because right. for them to have gone through what they did and then like just go to class the next day, that's a pretty big deal, it seems like. Right. So um, we'll, we'll look forward to, in, in the next episode of the AMP, uh, look forward to the next two episodes. Uh, that'll be, what, 80 and 81? 80 81, yeah. We're getting, uh, getting up there in numbers. It's going to be yeah. great. Yeah, definitely. Up there in numbers for the anime and for us. So right. we're going right. to continue that trend. Definitely. So we've got one last thing to wrap up before the episode ends. Uh, Adkins, last week we said that we were going to cast a couple of characters. I believe we decided on Bakugo and Fatgum. Uh, and if it's okay with you, you know, you had mentioned that if we both chose the same Bakugo, it'd be pretty nuts because we chose All Might the same, but that one, it made a lot of sense. Uh, I think we right. both have probably someone that's a little bit more low key for Bakugo. So do you mind if I go first? Yeah, go for it, buddy. Okay, cool. 
So my Bakugo is Dante Bosco. Uh, he played Rufio from Hook. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought that would be like, I just imagined like he almost has that Bakugo look down when he is Rufio, so. Okay. So you're going with him, you're playing the casting him during the, the age of Rufio, right? Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, that is totally not who I picked. Okay, good, um, <laughs> good. It would have been pretty crazy if it had been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I had said that there's no way that we picked the same person. It would have been wild if we had. Um, so now I, I'm my, good to do is yours. So my pick for Bakugo is a guy named Will Poulter. Um, oh, that he name sounds is, it, If you're looking it up, it's P-O-U-L-T-E-R. So um, when I was thinking about this, I thought immediately of the kid from We're the Millers, which oh, is yeah. the thing that I saw him in initially. Yep. But he's also been in like the Maze Runner and a couple other things. But if you look up pictures of him, like he definitely has that Bakugo, like very aggressive, resting faced and scowl. It's the eyebrows, um, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, I that's think he a could do cast. Wow. I think yeah, he, I really think he would do really well as Bakugo. I think so and, too. And he's got, you know, I haven't seen any of the Maze Runner movies. I don't think. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I've seen him in like a high action setting. But just if you're going by looks alone. I think he could really pull off a, a very strong Bakugo. For sure. He was in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, too. I don't remember that. I think the yeah. thing that I saw him in most recently was actually Midsommar, which I do not recommend watching. It movie was not very good. <laughs> okay. Um, I've seen him in Maze Runner and also uh, we, uh, Meet the Millers. So, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I like that casting. Yeah. Uh, what about Fat Gum? Who did you choose for Fat Gum? Okay, so I have... I have sort of two, but it's really like three casting options. So let me explain. So if... We had ended last week. I was like, all right, are we casting skinny fat gum or fat fat gum or different characters for both? And you said, let's try to get the one person to do both. Sure. So I did it both ways um, just for fun. So <laughs> okay. my just because I had a good idea for the second version. So I think for somebody who's going to do both, um, I had a really hard time. I struggled with that, like trying to imagine somebody who would be very large and very thin and have that personality. Um, at first I was thinking of James Marsden, the guy who played like Cyclops and some of the more recent X-Men, not, sure. not the most recent X-Men stuff, but the 2000 era X-Men stuff. Um, but I think that maybe Chris Pratt might be better. Um, oh, that's interesting. And that's, and I still don't love that casting. It's so hard to try to cast both versions. Like um, Chris as the same Pratt person. from like The Office and then Chris Pratt from, or not The Office, he was in uh, Parks and Recs, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Chris Pratt from like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would definitely, if, I mean, you've seen Fat Gum, he is egg shaped, so he'd be yeah. CGI'd like crazy. Oh, he'd have to be for sure. Um, but I think I was trying to find somebody who could have that big kind of really jovial personality, but also still be able to mix things up with a lot of high action. Um, and I thought maybe Chris Pratt could pull that off. I'm not as confident about that casting as I am the one where I cast different people for fat, fat gum and thin fat gum. Okay. And if, if we could make, if this could work out, it would be so amazing (laughs) because I think. You get Nick Frost to be fat, fat gum, and you get Simon Pegg to be skinny, fat gum. <laughs> if, if we could make that work out, it would make my entire casting of this oh, series man. worth it, because it would yes. be so stinking great to see Nick Frost and Simon, play, uh, Simon Pegg play the same guy. Yeah. And I think they could make it work, and it would be great. And they both have that jovial, but also very, you know, they could do a lot of the physical comedy. I mean. 
uh, they've done a lot of that stuff together, obviously. Um, For sure. I mean, so, the movie Hot Fuzz, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's my dream casting. Like, if we're, do, if we're going with two separate people, I want Nick Frost as Fat Fat Gum, um, and then uh, Simon Pegg being the result of, you know, the, the expenditure of all that energy, energy stored up in his fat against Rappa. To have Nick Frost or Nick Frost turn into Simon Pegg, would, oh, man. it would make me smile from ear to ear. It'd be yeah. so grand. I'm I'm smiling from ear to ear right now. Uh, that you know my my votes don't even matter. Like your, your <laughs> two are so good. Uh, man, mine just seems dweeby now. I I was thinking Haley Joel Osment. Interesting. I yeah. haven't even seen that guy. What's he look like now? Uh, he's definitely a bit chunkier than he used to be, which is by all means okay. I mean, look, I've had a kid. I've put on like thirty pounds, but. Uh, I feel like I could see him being like the expended energy fat gum when he was in, uh, I think it's uh, the Lion movie. What's it called? Um, oh, wow. I knew it. And now I'm blanking. The Lion movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Secondhand Lions? Secondhand Lions. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so Secondhand Lions. And then he was in a Kevin Smith movie named Tusk, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend. That's like one of my favorite yeah. movies. Uh, I've seen and that one. I could see him being like regular fat gum from that movie because he's just a little bit thicker. Like, I'm, I mean, I know that we're going egg shaped, but I was just thinking like if it was realistic and he just had kind of like a thicker looking body compared to like the really thin cut body, that, that yeah. would be my two picks. I gotcha. But you know what? You're Nick Frost and Simon Pegg blows that out of the water by like, ah. I mean, you just drop dynamites in the lake, man. It would be <laughs> such a good casting. And like, it would be. You would be, the whole thing would be, you don't tell anybody. It would be like Brad Pitt being in Deadpool 2, right? Right, yeah. Um, it would be like that. It would be that reveal where you don't know that Simon Pegg is affiliated with it at all, but you know that Nick Frost is fat gum. But then in that scene, when he punches and you turn back to him and his clothes are all sagging on him, that it's uh, Simon <laughs> Pegg. I would lose my freaking mind in the movie theater if I saw that. That would be really good. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of movie theaters, you're going to go try and see uh, the My Hero movie in the theaters? Is it releasing state sign in the theaters? Man, I saw something on Funimation about buying tickets. I feel like it was like February third. Hmm. So that was uh, yesterday. I think it's called Hero. Oh, February twenty third. No, today's only the fourth. Oh, I thought you said third. Sorry, I might have. I'm at the twenty third. Uh, but yeah, it looked like you could buy tickets. So I don't know. I haven't checked my local theaters. Uh, but uh, I w- that was the one you were mentioning a couple weeks ago. I think it's called Heroes Rising. Yeah. Yep. So is that like a follow-up to the last movie, or is this just going to be a side film, like independent flick kind of thing? I'm well. If they did with if they do with the with this new movie, like they did with the second, it'll take place in continuity somewhere. Um, And I like that because you know a lot of anime movies are just like let's make money with these characters and it won't matter. Um, but you know, Dragon Ball was the king of that for a long time, but they yeah. aren't alone. Um, and now their movies are starting to make more sense within the timelines, which is much better. Well, I think that's because, uh, Kira Toriyama is actually directing those or producing them. Uh, whereas the, a lot of the other movies, I don't think he had anything to do with. So yeah. but that's, that's for a Dragon Ball podcast, which I'm sure we're planning in the back of our heads. Secretly. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll get up to some, <laughs> we'll, we're going to, we'll get around to it one day. I mean, I, I shared on the Twitter, um, the the AMP Twitter today that Horikoshi from the beginning of you know his creation of my hero has had an end in mind and he's working towards it. Right. Um. Initially, he thought it was going to be thirty volumes. Um. Of the manga, but uh, he doesn't think that he's going to make that mark now. But he still is very like as recently as December of this past year of 2019 has said, "I know what the end is. 
and we're moving in that direction. And so um, it could be that my hero is is finite. And I think that that upsets some fans because there's a lot to like about it. Um, but I also like kind of like the idea that that it will be a, a contained thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, no, I like shows that are contained a lot better because it, it things just get awful after a while. Like I'm a huge Supernatural fan. After season five, you kind of don't need to watch, but there's still 14 of them. Yeah. So. I, I like it when creators get in, do a fun, fancy, great thing that they want to do and know when to quit before it starts to have, you know, um, diminishing returns or really start to tank or, yeah. or get stretched too thin. And you see that a lot. And it's great to just have something that stays good the whole time. And I mentioned this on the Twitter or, or inside of that tweet, too, which is. This means like knowing that he's had the end in mind this whole time means that everything that we're presented with, particularly in the manga, is intentional. Like it's not. It doesn't that it's going to lead nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like that. Well, and I think some of it, too, is anymore. You know, there are so many shows that have been like huge cultural impacts. Take like Game of Thrones, for instance. I mean, it was something that I feel like everybody was watching. Everybody knew something about it or at least heard of it. It like blew up in stores. And it was really good. Everyone knew it was going to end. And then when it did, it wasn't that the ending wasn't what people wanted. It was, I mean, that's exactly what it was. It was just awful. No one, no one liked it really. So, you know, I can only imagine that there are a lot of folks that are like, well, I don't want it to end because I don't want a crappy ending, you know, but right. I feel like with, you're talking about how intentional things are. I think this guy's got a really good idea of how this is going to wrap up. And I think it's going to be really well done. I can't, I can't wait to see where we end up at. Yeah, me too. I- I'm looking forward to the end because. Because it's it's hoary co- it's it's an end that, by all intents and purposes, will come at Horikoshi on Horikoshi's terms, and I like that. Yeah. I like the creator control. Um, I would love, honestly, for him to do the My Hero thing. We already have one spinoff, um, and just let the My Hero thing breathe and and be what it is, and just go and do something else, um, and just let this be. A, a gym that that we can read over and over again and not fall behind on. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I th- there are pros certainly and cons to both sides, but I think I'm, I think I fall out on the side where I'm like, I, I like that there's a finish line. Me too. So, I really hope that this uh, takes maybe a darker turn. I mean, we saw that stuff with the Shia Hisai guy. It's pretty dark stuff. But I wonder if this is going to be like more like the Naruto series where the first half of it's kind of lighthearted and fun. And then you start to really delve into the background of some of the characters and it gets really dark and things are not quite what you thought. You know, it, yeah. would, be, it would be nice if we see like a later half just that it gets it gets nuts and you never know what's going to happen, you know. Well, we'll be along for the ride either way. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. I, I always look forward to these next episodes. Uh, I, it sucks being behind, and I, I hate having to wait. Uh, I really wish <laughs> that we had like you know three or four more seasons lined up for us. Yeah, well, we're, we're doing what we can as quick as we can, and we still do have a couple fillers that we might get around to at some point. If, if, uh, you know, if you're just desperate to record once a week again, just like the old days, we certainly have got some content in our back pockets that we can start working on. and. Definitely. And now that we're uh, both going to be kind of calming down a little bit as far as schedules go, hopefully we can get some of those in. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll even uh, record one sitting in the same room here next month. We'll see. Oh, yeah. That is going to be fun. That's right. You're going to come up. I was going to yeah. say, uh, it looks like we actually have showings of that My Hero movie, February 26th, 27th, and 28th. So maybe nice. uh, maybe I'll go catch it. It'd be cool. Yeah. I'll have to check my theater and see, because that would be a cool thing for us to jump on while it's hot. Too. Definitely. Definitely. All right, man. Well, I guess we'll talk next week uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next week as well. See you guys.
Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.